and in prayer. This morning, we're going to be uh, wrapping up our... Ah, uh, you did it. <laughs> Do you see that guy right there? Do you recognize him? That is Mark Borat. Mark Borat finished a master's in pastoral ministry, and he got to walk. Yeah, you can clap. It's a good thing to celebrate. And that is the statue outside Andrews University um, of uh, Jan Andrews looking off from the, uh, from the docks to, the, to go over. He was the first missionary sent out. He was sent to Europe um, by the Adventist Church. And um, so we just wanted to show you, show you a picture. This was posted on Facebook. My wife saw it a few minutes ago. I took it over to Sam and asked him if he could find it. And that's what kind of guy he is. And uh, thank you, Sam. Uh, so we get a chance to share in Mark's experience. I think it was Thursday he marched and uh, with, with the graduating class that marches from the, the summer graduation. So if you get a chance, when Mark comes back, um, greet him and, uh, and welcome him and uh, especially give him honor because he now is a master of something. <laughs> we'll ask Norma what later. <clears throat> This last, uh, last Friday, yesterday, I guess, um, I, uh, I got to drive uh, a bit of Highway 5. And uh, as I stopped and uh, took about a two-minute break, I drove off the, inter- off the interstate, took my, my exit, turned right while the little, uh, little lady on my phone was saying, Return to the route. Return to the route. Return to the route. Actually, she says return to the route. And uh, so as I turned off, I turned to the right, and uh, there was a Burger King uh, in front of me as I was turning. And I noticed this driver in this white Toyota. And she had the Burger King crown on. Now, you usually don't see that in the driver's seat. But she, I don't know, she looked like she was maybe 20, 25, something like that. And I'm thinking, how cool is this? She got the Burger King crown and she is wearing it. She's owning it. And I just thought, oh, that's pretty, pretty cool, pretty impressive. And uh, I would just, as it reminded me in this, in this series, maybe I should have stopped by Burger King and see if they would have given me a crown. You know, I don't know. What do you have to buy to get a crown? I don't know. But I should have maybe stopped to see if we could get a crown, just to keep, because we're wrapping up a series where we've been talking about the kingdom and we've been talking about the king. And I thought maybe if I just wore that crown, it would make more impact, <laughs> or at least get your attention. Um, today, I want to wrap up with a conversation about the kingdom's keepers, the keepers of the kingdom. Um, as you know, we talked about the fact that this, this kingdom has a king. The king in this kingdom is Jesus. He's the, the, the second member of the Godhead, the Trinity. He is God incarnate in human flesh. The kingdom has a king. And we, we talked about the fact that he, he proclaimed himself 
that king, when he came in on that white donkey. The kingdom reflects the nature of the king. And so the, the people who are in the kingdom, the followers, of the, 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 the people who live within the kingdom, reflect the nature of the king. The rules of the kingdom reflect the nature of the king. The way that kingdom presents itself reflects the nature of the king. And finally, this king is, like, is unlike any other king king and some of these parables are just off the wall you know a guy goes out and he hires some people <clears throat> in the morning and he takes him to his vineyard to work and he says i'll pay you a day's wages a denarius for the day and then he goes out a little later and he finds some more because he needs some more and he takes them and he, and he says whatever i decide to pay you i'll pay you and they say fine and then he goes a little later and he finds some more and a little later and he finds some more and a little later and he finds some more and he finally finds some guys for the last hour of work just the the very end of the day he lines everybody up to pay him he pays them all the same. And the guys who came at the beginning of the day are mad. Wait, we worked all day through the heat of the day, and you're paying them the same as us? Remember what the king says? Remember what the landowner says? He says, are you upset because I am kind? That's a question for the church, isn't it? That's a question for the believers. That's going to be a question for the entrance into the kingdom. Maybe if that question is on our mind, uh, it's a symbol of a problem. But you think about it. How how many folks are worried about somebody sneaking in? It's amazing to me. When you preach a lot about grace, people say, well, people are going to get the wrong idea. They're going to think they can sneak in somehow. No, I don't think so. I don't think anybody's sneaking in. I'm pretty sure God has this thing figured out. So I don't think there's any sneaking. If the king wants to be gracious and he wants to be kind and he wants to be merciful, he gets to. And we all ought to be really glad for that because every one of us has benefited from that. We are the ones who came at the end of the day. We are the ones who came at the last of the day. We are those ones. We're not the ones who came at the beginning. You are not Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. We are the ones who've come late to the game and he's still letting us in. So the setting for the parable that we're going to talk about today, the story, the parable that I would like to focus on is in at the beginning of chapter 22. But the setting for the parable is something like this artist's rendition. The smoke from the, the campfires of Israelites who have gathered for the holidays rising around the city. The smoke from the offering rising from the midst of the temple. People gathered all over the hillsides. And Jesus tells his disciples, hey, uh, go into town. You'll find a colt and its mother. Bring those to me. And he sits down on the donkey and he rides in. Remember what I said he was proclaiming when he rode in? He was saying, I am a king. Come in peace. I am a king who's come in peace. The next day he comes back. He goes into the temple and he clears the temple of all of those who were selling their goods in the temple. What is he declaring? That I have authority over this place, over this temple, and over this community. The children begin to cry out, Hosanna, which means what? Do you remember? Come save us. Come save. The children cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna, and the Pharisees and and priests come out and they say, shut those kids up. Do you hear what they're saying? And then the third day, on the third day, he comes back to the temple. And as he enters into the temple on the third day, They confront him. He's been causing a disruption. Now, as a pastor, I worry about disruptions in church. You know, 
I don't know if it bothers you off, but it worries me sometimes. Um, I have a friend who used to have a prophet who would come to his church. And it was a fairly small church. It, uh, two or three of them would fit in this building. And, it, and so when this prophet stood up to speak, it disrupted everything. And this guy would, this guy, actually this lady would stand up and she would usually sit in the front. And she would stand up and disrupt the service and she would start talking about stuff and, you know, pointing fingers at people and stuff. And he, finally he, he decided he was going to have to do something about this. And so one day after church, he said, listen, if you have a prophecy for this church, come and tell me. If after praying, after spending some time with God, we're in agreement, we will go and deal with this. But do not disrupt the church service to, to, to give your prophecies for anyone. He said, was the last time she, did, she uh, ever interrupted church? All she wanted was an audience. And she figured church was a place to get one. As preachers, we worry about somebody breaking into the church service. So if you ever decide to stand up, you need to have a really good reason. Okay? A really, really good reason. I mean, the Holy Spirit better be speaking loudly to you when you decide to stand up. I mean, it's not impossible. It happens, but, you know, it just bothers us. And this is what happened. Jesus had been messing with these guys for two days. He rides in on a donkey. They know what that means. They know what he's doing. People are crying Hosanna to the son of David. They're laying their coats down for him. Palm branches are being waved. Everybody understands this is the processional of a king arriving to his, his home city, arriving to his capital city. They know what all this is. It's creating such a ruckus in Jerusalem. People are saying, who's this guy? Who's this guy? Who's this guy who rode in on the donkey yesterday? What's, what's up with him? I saw his face on the picture on the paper this morning. What, what's, what's going on? Second day he arrives and he throws everybody out of the temple. I mean, there's money to be made there and they're, they're, they're no longer able to do such. He's tossed out all the money changers. He's got doves flying all over, coins rolling around the floor. Some of these little kids are probably picking some of them up. He's messing with their whole deal. So on the third day when he arrives, on the, th- what day? On the third day when he arrives at the temple, I don't think that's an accident. On the third day, they confront him. They came to, when he came to the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? We didn't give you any authority. We didn't say that you could do this. We didn't mark you as a rabbi or a priest or a prophet. How are you doing this on your own? What do you, what do you think you're doing here? Who gave you this authority? Jesus doesn't answer directly. He says, Who gave John the Baptist his authority to baptize? They refused to answer, and Jesus said, well, I'm not going to tell you who gives me my authority either then. And I just like the way that sounds. I'm not telling you what's going on with me either. And then he starts a series of parables. However, in the midst of this setting where he's declared himself king, declared himself the head of the, pro- head of the church, and now is standing there confronted with these Pharisees on the third day, he starts a series of parables. He says, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to, his fir- went, went to the first and he said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. Oh, oh too far, too fast. Go and work today in the vineyard. The first son says, no way, dad. Don't want to do it. Not going to do it. I got something else to do. Sorry, I'm watching this cool thing on TV. ESPN's on. I'm not doing it. And the dad goes to the second son. And he says, son, I need somebody to go work in the vineyard. Would you go work in the vineyard? And that son says, absolutely. I'll go do it. No problem. Doesn't go. Second son's sitting there watching the first quarter of the football game. He says, you know, I really, my dad really doesn't need my help. 
And he gets himself up off the couch and he goes. And he works in the vineyard. And so he asks them, which one of these sons of this man did the will of the father? Well, they say the first, just like you. The first one did. He may have complained about it. He may have said he wasn't going to do it, but he actually ended up doing it, right? So the first one, clearly he's the one who did it. That's when Jesus says, um, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Because when John came and spoke to them of repenting, they responded. And even though you knew John was from God, you didn't. Think this was a hard one to swallow? So he's just come into town a couple days ago, declaring himself king. He's just chased out all of the money changers and thrown out, thrown over those who are turned over the tables of those who are who are uh, selling pigeons and all all kinds of mayhem. And then he shows up this day, and this tells him this story. He says, "You know what? Tax collectors and prostitutes are going to get in the kingdom before you guys." You think they went? Oh, thank you, thank you very much. Appreciate appreciate your insight. Thank you. Uh, We'll take that under advisement. We'll go pray about that. You think that's what happened? So he starts another parable. Same setting. Guy who came in on a donkey, who just cleared out the temple, who's declared himself to be king of Israel and high priest of the nation. Only one since David who could hold those offices in that way. And he says, here another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge about it and dug a wine press into it and built a tower. And he leased that vineyard out and went off to a far country. So if you, were to, if you were to look at his preparations, he has done all the things needed to prepare for this to be a successful vineyard. He has built the wine press so that when, when it comes time, they can, press the, they can do that. He's put a hedge around it to keep animals and wild, animal, wild things out of it. And he's put a tower in it. The tower in it was to watch for enemies, to watch, for, watch during the night to see if an animal comes or some enemy comes into the vineyard. It must have been much more complicated to farm back then. Don't you think? Nobody does this. You don't have a tower with a you know, guy in a machine gun unless you're growing marijuana, I guess, um, in the vineyards of today. The landover goes off to a far country and he, and he gives that vineyard over to somebody. So who owns the vineyard at this point? Who are the people who he's put in charge of the vineyard when he left? So the, the, the father still owns the vineyard, right? The landowner still owns the vineyard. But he's put this vineyard out to some renters. And in this case, it would be the people of Israel, right? They were given the vineyard. And the landowner decided that he needed to finally come and correct, connect, collect the vintage of that year. And so when he decides to come back and collect the vintage, he first sends some servants in there. And the servants go and... And the servants say, hey, it's time for the, the landowner to have his, his produce from his, his vineyard, so um, I'm here to collect it. And they don't respect them. They don't treat them well. In fact, they beat them. Second group is sent. They come and they, they, they do the same to them. They mistreat them and they beat them. So the landowner says, ah, well, they will certainly, certainly respect my son. So he sends his son. And when the son arrives... The owners of the vineyard say, aha, this is the heir apparent, or the the renters of the vineyard. This is the heir apparent. If we kill him, we can have the vineyard for ourselves. And so they kill the son. Jesus says, what should be done to these renters of the vineyard? And the Pharisees say, well, he should come and he should mercilessly, mercilessly kill those people. 
Jesus says, Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruit of it. Now, here's the, the interesting picture here. He's told two stories. One directed to specifically at these men saying, you speak of following God, but you don't actually do it. You use the words, you, you say the right things, but you don't actually do it. You know, we talked last week a lot about the idea that you're going in this direction and repent means to turn around and go in the other direction and follow God all the way home, right? Just keep following him all the way home. He said, you guys have said, oh yeah, we're following God, we're following God. Yeah, absolutely, we're following. We're going to keep following him all the way. Yep, no problem. We'll be following God till we get to the kingdom, right? And you pretend and you act like and you use the words, but you haven't actually turned around. The reason all these speeches start with repent is because you are going in the wrong direction. These guys have all the right words, but they're still wandering off in the wrong direction. And some of us are there sometimes. Sometimes our Christianity only goes as far as our mouth. You know, you get up in the morning and you say, yep, 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 I'm following God. Yep, yep, going to do it today. I'm going to follow God. Going to follow him all day long. And you wander off the cliff. You wander off some spiritual cliff because you, you just have no real intent of following today. Your mouth wants it, but your brain doesn't want it, your feet doesn't want it, your hands doesn't want it. Nothing else wants it. These guys have been practicing this for a long time. They've got it down to a science. They wear the right clothes. They walk out in the middle of a street and right as the time of prayer, they, they just wait till they're just the right time and they step out in the middle of the street. All the, all the people are trying to get someplace and it's the time, the hour of prayer and as a demonstration to the nation, they cover themselves and they begin to pray. And they block all the people trying to go by and they block the carts and they block the people because these people should know. They should know they should be praying. They should know they shouldn't be wandering through town like this. It's time to stop. It's time to pray. They have it so down. They make sure that the day before they take their offering in, they go down to the bank and exchange it for lots of little coins so that there's a big bag of money to be taken to the offering. Do you imagine what collecting the offering would be like if we all did that? We would need containers, you know, because everybody's bringing pennies. We would also need weightlifters to do all of the offering collection because you got to just pour it in. Ding, 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 ding. But this was their practice. This is what they did to demonstrate that they were faithful. And Jesus says, you guys aren't faithful. You say you are, but you're not actually following. You're not actually doing it. You're not actually following through with that conviction that you say you have. And by the way, when I sent you my prophets to straighten this out, you beat them. When I sent you my son, you're about to kill him. He said, this isn't working so well. So we're removing you from the leadership in the vineyard. We're going to take the vineyard away from you and give it to another who will bear its fruit. Christianity was handed the keys to the vineyard. Nice vineyard, hedge around it, tower in the middle of it. Really nice. Wine press right in the vineyard so you didn't have to go far to take care of it. Handed the vineyard. Full grown, ready to go. How have we done? Depends on who you ask, I guess. Chapter 22. Oh, wait. I need to finish. Now when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this parable, I like this. Only took two parables to get here. They perceived that he was speaking of them. 
Right, well, right on that one. Remember the setting. Jesus has ridden in on a donkey, declaring himself to be the king of Israel, arriving in peace to his capital city. He's gone into the temple the next day, and he's cleared the temple. He's declared it to be a house of prayer. He's allowed the lame and the halt and the blind to come in, and he's healed them. And the children sing his praises and say, Hosanna, and he lets it go. Let those kids be noisy in church. What was he thinking? And now the third day, he's come back, and they're questioning his authority. And he said, hey, you know, uh, I would love to, to say that you guys are doing all the right things, but you're not. You're like the son who claims he's going out in the vineyard, but you don't. I've, I've, I've built you a wonderful vineyard, and I made it all perfect, and I lent it out to you guys. It was mine. It's still mine. And when I came to gather the harvest, you beat up my, my servants and you, you're about to kill my son. So he goes on to the next parable. And he speaks to them again, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. So you've got to think a little bit about this. A wedding banquet was a pretty big deal. Lots of preparations were done for a wedding. There was, there, were, there was going to be a huge meal. It's similar to what we do today, but it would take longer. It would be a bigger deal. The celebration sometimes would go on for a week. So you have to have a lot of food. You have to have a lot of preparation. You have to have places for all these people. And so by the time this king has prepared for these people to come, he may have been at this for weeks, maybe months in preparation. Okay. He's killed the fatted calf. He's made everything ready. And now when everything is ready, he's got the, 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 the big old bullock on the, on the spit. and Somebody's been cranking that thing for days. Everything is just about ready. He says the table set, the linens out. Everything's perfect. Go get the guests. Go and call the people who were invited to the banquet. He sent more servants. Well, by the way, they don't come. So he sends some more servants. I wonder if he sends the bigger servants. Does he send the big burly servants now? He said, listen, guys, I got to, I, you got to come. You know, did he, did he just send some ordinary servants and then he sent sort of the, the muscle the next time? I don't know. But he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. Dinner's ready. My oxen and fatted cattle have been butchered. So I've killed the animals. Everything's good to go. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants. Do you notice the theme? They seized his servants and mistreated them and killed them. You see, this has been an ongoing thing. We're seeing a summary of Israel's behavior from the Old Testament. He sent his servants. He sent his prophets. He sent them to him. And they mistreated them and at times even killed them. And he's now coming to Israel and he's kind of recapping their history, recapping their behavior toward his servants. The king was enraged and he sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. From this day to the destruction of Jerusalem will be about four decades. The Jerusalem will be burned down, burned to the ground, absolutely destroyed. The temple will be pushed off, every stone pushed off over the cliff so that they can get the gold that melted down in between the cracks, out of the cracks. Israel will experience exactly what the king was describing. 
Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite, the, invite to the banquet anyone you find. Anyone you find. So go out on the street, go to the busiest streets you can find, anywhere you can find them, and bring everybody in. You know who you and I are? We're the anyone. We're the anyone you could find. We're not the, the original guests. The original guests were supposed to be the Jews and the Israelites. They were supposed to be the people whose, 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 in, whose bodies Abraham blood, Abraham's blood flowed. They were supposed to be a nation of priests. This, this group of people who had followed God for the last 1,400 years, they were the original invitees to this banquet. And instead of them coming, they went out into the highways and byways, went out into the streets and invited anyone who could want to come. So the servant went into the streets, and they gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. Stop. Don't think about which one of those you are. We all know. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. So these people all come in from all over. And, you know, they're they're the bad and they're the good, the good, the bad, maybe the ugly come as well. And they all get into the wedding feast. And the wedding hall is filled filled with guests and the king is glad the king is happy because someone will share his meal share his feast with them when the king came to see the guests he noticed a man who was not wearing the wedding clothes and he asked how did you get in here without wedding clothes and the man was speechless this is the one everybody's afraid of he sneaked in but he stuck out like a sore thumb because he was not clothed in the robe of Christ's righteousness. He wasn't clothed in the wedding clothes. He had not been wrapped in the garments of the king. He still smelled of the street. He no longer didn't, he didn't smell of the king. And the king told the attendants to tie his hand and foot and throw him outside into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Throw him out of the party. Throw them out. Many are invited. Few are chosen. It's an interesting parable to give to Israel. Israel, you were invited to this great banquet. I made all this preparation for you. And you said you didn't want to come. I sent my servants to say, hey, come. It's great. It's all ready. The banquet's ready. Come. And you said, no, don't want to come. In fact, then you started mistreating the servants and you even killed some of them. And so I'm going to go out into the highways and byways and I'm going to get whoever I can get. And I'm bringing them to the feast. It's an interesting problem here. What was Israel's job? We think Israel's job was to worship God. Well, that's what Israel was to be. They were to be worshipers of God. But it wasn't their job. What, Israel's, what was Israel's job? It was to recruit people for the wedding feast. Israel's job was to recruit those people out there in the highways and byways, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and bring them to the wedding feast, knowing 
that the father would provide them with the wedding garments that would make them okay. He would cover their sins. He would cover their filth. He would take care of all of that. They just needed to get them there. They just needed to invite them in. And they not only forgot about that job, they forgot about following the king at all. They didn't even want to go to the wedding feast. Hey, we got a good. Church is good. We don't need anything more than this. We like the way it works here. We like the way we do things here. We have things under control here. You know, we know everything that has to be done. We get up in the morning. We know what we're responsible for. We know what our job is. I get up in the morning. I say four of these kinds of prayers, three of those kinds of prayers. I walk over to the temple. I go in there and I bow in the right place and I turn in the right direction. And then and then when I get that done, I go out and at, at six o'clock, I do this. And at eight o'clock, I do this. And at nine o'clock, I do that. And at twelve o'clock, I do this. And at three o'clock, I do that. And at five o'clock, and seven o'clock, I go to bed and I start all over again. It's great. I got this all wired, God. I got this all figured out. I don't need your help. I don't need your banquet. I don't need your prophets. I don't need any, I don't need any messages from you. Leave me alone. I got this figured out. I'm in. And he said, I'm going to go out in the, I'm going to go out in the streets and I'm going to bring in anybody who will listen to me because I just want my banquet to be full. I want my kids to be home. I'll, I just, I just want, I just want to touch as many people as who are willing to come. He said, "If you won't go after them, I'll send out some others to get them. But I really would like you guys to come too." What do we know about this father, about this king? My son comes to me and says, "I'm not going to the vineyard. We now have a problem. You know." Son, I need you to go out and work. My son says, not doing it. We're going to have a problem. There's a conflict about to start. This father is very indulgent. His kid says straight out no to him. And he just goes to the next kid. He just looks for another kid to do the job. That kid lies to him. This is a very indulgent father. Then the story. He rents out his vineyard to a bunch of ne'er-do-wells. When it comes time to collect the harvest, he sends some servants to them, and they mistreat them, and he sends some others. And then he gets the brilliant idea of saying, I know, I know what I'll do. They've been beating up everybody I send. I'll send my son. That's, that's brilliant. At least they'll respect him. What do we know about this vineyard owner? He's very indulgent of these people. He's very merciful. He's confusingly merciful. Aren't you a little confused by this? Would you do it? You'd have called the cops after they hit the first guy. Right? I would have. I said, look, these guys owe me. They should be doing this. Send in the SWAT team. You laugh. You would do it. They beat up your servants. You'd send them. And then he shows this feast. He prepares for them and he sends out his servants and he says, hey, come. The feast is ready. And they say, no, we're not coming to your dumb feast. 
And instead of just right there turning his back, shutting the door and saying, you don't deserve to be there and leaving, he sends out some more servants to coax them to come. Come on, everything's ready. The banquet's already everything's prepared. It's great. It's beautiful. I tasted some of the food before I came here. It's awesome. What do we keep hearing about this king? He's merciful and indulgent and he cares about these people and he's trying to get them to change the way they're approaching this thing. And it's as a last resort that he does anything else. Do you realize that? In all of these cases, it's a last resort that causes him to do anything else. (laughs) In some ways, we're the last resort. In other ways, I wonder if we've wandered into the wedding feast trying to do it in our own clothes. What's wrong with my suit? It's my best suit. What's wrong with you? I... I bought this thing at the men's warehouse. I'm looking good. He guaranteed it. I ought to be able to go anywhere in this suit. Do you realize this tie cost me 12 bucks? Come on. It's made from silk from somewhere. I, I belong here. I'm the good, not the bad. Not the ugly. I'm the good. You say, no, you can't, you, you can't come in here in your own clothes. You see, this is a different kind of a kingdom. It's not how you measure up that matters. It's not the clothes you brought that matter. It's not what you think you're capable of that matters. What matters here is that I've invited you and you've answered the invitation. That's what really matters here. It matters here that I've prepared for you and you've come to take in what I've prepared. You know, when this all started, you guys, I I made the planet perfect for you. And I set you down and it was awesome for the first couple of days. You guys went and chatted with the serpent. I said, all I want to do is get you back home where it'll be great again. As many of you as as will possibly come, I'll provide the clothes you need. I'll provide the food for you. I'll provide everything. Just come. If there's a theme in the discussion of the kingdom that we keep coming to again and again and again, it's that the king is the one who's providing everything you need. And the invitation just keeps going out over and over again. What's this kingdom like? It's different from anything you've ever seen, but you're invited. We have parties that are different from anything you've ever seen, but you're invited. We do things that are different from anything you've ever done, but you're invited. Come, I'll take care of everything else. You just come. I know you're walking away. You're walking off and eventually you're going to walk over the cliff. So if you just turn around and come back, I'll show you where to go. I'll show you how to get there. We'll get you home. We'll get you to the party. We'll get you to the celebration and I'll take care of everything. That's the kind of king. That's the kind of kingdom we're dealing with. So if I could wrap up One last bit. The kingdom of God has a king. He's merciful. And he's gracious. And he's trying to get as many of us home as possible. The king's kingdom reflects the nature of that king. And the people in the kingdom, the people of God, the people who are his followers, he wants to touch our lives 
and see things change in such a way that anybody who bumps into us knows where we came from. Our accent will sound like the accent of somebody from the kingdom. Our smell, just a little bit of the fields and flowers of the kingdom. Our face, it'll just shine a little bit like the king's. Not because we're awesome, but because he is. Someday, the last day will come. And there will be a decision to be made all the way till that moment. Do you want to go home or not? It'll be great. There'll be a banquet. It'll be amazing. You'll get to meet God face to face. It'll be unbelievable. You'll get to live in a place where there's no sin. Therefore, no pain, no sorrow, no death. It'll be fantastic. The only question every day is, do you want to go? Let's pray. Prepare our hearts for your kingdom. Give us the clothes for the banquet. Give us a willingness to follow you. Help us to avoid the pitfalls of pretenders. Take our hand and lead us home. I pray in Jesus' name.